Let's take our Bibles out tonight. Let's go to the book of Nehemiah. The book of Nehemiah. And uh, as we prepare for revival, usually Nehemiah seems to come up, doesn't he? A uh, great picture of revival. Before we get there, go ahead and turn there. I want to make a quick announcement uh, of an opportunity, a special opportunity. But AJ mentioned there a moment ago about praying for revival. And uh, if you've read any of the revivals that have happened, real revivals that have happened through our history, uh, not just in Scripture, but also around the world and through our history as a, as a country, you'll find that uh, before there was a great move of revival, there was often, it was preceded by a great move of prayer. And obviously tonight we're going to pray for that at the end of service, but I want to give you an opportunity to pray a little extra, all right? I don't think it will hurt us to pray a little extra for revival. So here's what we're going to do. Uh, starting tomorrow morning and going through Friday, uh, we're going to be opening up our auditorium at 6.30 a.m., and if you would like to come on your way to work, if you head on your way to work earlier than that, uh, then pray in the parking lot, all right? Uh, but if you are between the hours of 6.30 and 8 a.m., we're going to open this up for anyone to come in who wants to pray for revival. Uh, you read and you study, you'll find that when America had great needs, not just of revival, but maybe there was a famine, maybe there was a war, uh, the church doors were opened up where people could come and pray. I know we're living in a different time. It's hard to leave the doors unlocked uh, because things walk off, amen? Uh, things walk off and sometimes people walk in, just ask for the bow. He'll tell you uh, about his encounters with, that he's had with folks uh, walking in on him. Uh, but we're going to open it up at 6.30. Between 6.30 and 8 a.m., we'll have some coffee in our foyer, maybe Maybe some donuts. I may run pick up some of those as well. If you'd like to come in and just pray for revival on your way to work. Uh, now, we're going to leave it open all day long, but the coffee will only be here for about an hour and a half, okay? Uh, if you want some of that, I want you to come in. I want you to pray for revival. Uh, and if you can't make it to stop by, you know, throughout your day, uh, I'm also going to encourage you to do something. We did this during COVID. Uh, when we were out of the building for a little while, uh, we had what was called park and pray, where you would come and park in the parking lot, uh, and you would pray for our church, and you would pray for our country as we went through that, that tough time, that tough, tough stretch of COVID. Uh, I'm going to designate, we want to designate the south parking lot for that. Uh, that way you'll keep out of the school traffic and you won't get run over there. I just want to encourage you to take an extra step of prayer. To say, hey, I want to pray for revival. I'm not just going to pray when I ask the Lord to bless my hamburger tomorrow at lunch. I'm going to make a special moment and take a special time to pray. If you have that opportunity, I want to encourage you, come. But starting at 6.30 in the morning, come in and pray. We'll have a staff member here uh, kind of rotating a little bit uh, on that if you should need something. There will be some coffee here for about an hour, hour and a half. If you can't make it to come inside, I want to encourage you after hours, stop in the parking lot and pray. He said, well, I can pray from home just as well. You know, there was a time, you remember the man who came to Christ and they could not, the disciples could not cast out the demons out of his son. Remember that? Uh, and Jesus said, well, this kind cometh out not but by prayer and fasting. He said, you're going to have to go a little further for this one because of the need that was there. I think God would honor a little extra effort on our part to come and to pray. Uh, Saturday, the South Parking Lot, I want to encourage you to come in. Hey, just park in the parking lot, pray for revival. And uh, I'm looking forward to what God's going to do. Our speaker will be, uh, will be arriving tomorrow uh, at around noon. He's coming in, and uh, we're going to spend a lot of time together praying and preparing. Uh, he's been calling. Uh, and uh, my wife and I will sit the phone down and we'll put it on speaker. Uh, and uh, the other day, we, we got about a 25-minute sermon uh, on revival, uh, just me and her in the car in Fuzzy's Taco Shop parking lot. Amen? The Lord can meet with you anywhere. Uh, and then he prayed with us, and we've been preparing our hearts for revival. And I hope you have too. I hope you've been letting the Lord do what he would desire to do in your heart 
to prepare for revival. We're going to preach on that tonight out of Nehemiah chapter number one. Let's stand together, and I'm just going to read down a little bit. We're going to pray and let you be seated. Uh, and tonight, this is the last service before we head into Revival Sunday. I hope you're planning on being here. Uh, bring a friend. The testimony you're going to hear Sunday morning is life-changing of what God has done in our speaker's life. And then right after that service, we'll have lunch together. And I'm looking forward to that very much. Nehemiah 1. Here's Nehemiah. He's the cupbearer. He's, uh, he's a captive. Uh, and now he is asking the countrymen from back home where everything's been destroyed how things are. In verse number 2. The Bible says that Hananiah, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity concerning Jerusalem. Now watch the report they give. I know you've heard this preached out of many times, but please let it fall fresh and anew on your heart tonight. The Bible says, and they said unto me, the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. It came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And said, I beseech thee, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and terrible God that keepeth the covenant, keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. Let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now day and night. For the children of Israel, thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee, both I and my father's house have sinned. Let's stop and pray. Father, I do thank you for Nehemiah. I thank you for what you did through him. And Father, what a bleak situation, Lord, he was about to walk into. But Lord, what a great God he was serving and relying upon. And Father, I don't know what needs of revival are here, Lord, within individual hearts and families. I don't know, Lord, needs that are unspoken, that are only uttered to you. Father, the things I do know of, Father, we could use your hand. We could use your touch, not just as a church, but as a country. And I pray that you'd help us lead the way, Lord, tonight, individually. Help us see, Lord, that revival is very, very personal. But Father, it's very contagious as well, Lord, once we decide, Lord, to be revived Bless the message, bless the invitation, bless our speakers, they travels, that comes in. And Lord, I pray that we'd have a wonderful week ahead in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Tonight we're going to focus in on the invitation. I'm going to work toward that tonight because during the invitation time I do want to spend a special time in prayer for that. But I want to set the stage for it if we could. Uh, here in the South, I, I've only lived in the South. <laughs> I've never lived in the North. Uh, I've lived in the east, uh, over on the east coast of Florida. Uh, sometimes that doesn't feel like the south, you know. Uh, here in Mississippi, Alabama, Louisiana, I've, I've predominantly lived in Mississippi and Louisiana. And here in the south, revival is very traditional, isn't it? Uh, usually in the early part of the year, so maybe spring or summer, and usually in the fall, we have a time of revival, and I'm thankful for that. We haven't had one here in a while, and Lord willing, we'll have two this year, and I'm very excited about that. But unfortunately... A lot of times revival is traditional, not as spiritual as it should be. It's more a tradition, it's something that we do each time of the year, but it's not something necessarily that is a spiritual thing, it is a planned meeting where we get together and we get challenged and encouraged, and I'm thankful for that, aren't you? I'm thankful to go to church and to hear preaching and to be challenged. I mentioned that I spoke with our, our revival preacher on the phone the other day, and uh, he was sharing some devotions with me and things with me about preparing my heart, and oh, I was challenged by that, and I'm thankful to be challenged. I'm thankful that the Lord convicts my heart and shows me where I need to do better, and that's good to be challenged and encouraged. But hear me out tonight. 
Oftentimes, I'm afraid we view a revival as a spiritual pep rally. All right. Now, I went to public school uh, most of my life, and we would have pet rallies on Friday before the football games, you know, and they go around, and they get you fired up, and everybody's cheering, and you're trying to win the spirit stick. Anybody remember those days? Uh, good old days, right? It was just a piece of PVC pipe with paper wrapped around it, but man, you wanted it so bad. Uh, you're screaming your lungs out to win that piece of pipe, and you wanted to have that, and you, you got fired up, and then after it was over, you went home. And sometimes revival's that way. It's a pep rally, we come in, we get challenged, maybe we get burdened, but then we go home. And the problem is this, when you read about real revival, whether it's in the Word of God or in the history of our country or the history of the world, you'll find that revival was far more significant than just being stirred up, okay? I like being stirred up. I like revival. I like being preached to. I like having my heart challenged. But can I tell you the most notable attribute of revival that oftentimes we miss out on? It's not that we're not getting stirred. We're going to have wonderful music, wonderful preaching, wonderful fellowship, all right? Uh, we've got all kind of things planned for revival. I'm excited about that. But oftentimes we leave revival and that was it. We got stirred and that was it. And we're missing the most notable attribute of revival. And what is that? It's change. You know, God is not going to send revival just to stir us to where we're encouraged again and challenged again. I hope you are, and I believe you will be. But the problem is, if we leave revival and we're not changed, then I don't know that we had revival. Revival is not about coming and getting challenged. Revival is about coming and being changed. And as we head into this last Wednesday night before we head into revival, got a lot of our people watching at home tonight. I pray as we unite our hearts together here on Sunday morning that we're coming not just to be stirred, but we're coming to be changed. I think uh, if you've ever heard the song, it reminds you, of, I printed the lyrics off to it today, uh, great, great song entitled Stirred But Not Changed. Have I heard it for so long that he's just another song? Has the story lost its thrill that I once knew? Lord, give me a burden that's so strong that it will last when my tears are gone. I'm tired of what I've been, Lord, make me over again. The chorus says, I'm so tired of being stirred about the lost who need to hear. I'm so tired of being stirred that his coming is so near. I'm so tired of being stirred till I cry bitter tears. I'm so tired of being stirred but not being changed. Now, folks, I hope we get stirred at revival. I really do. I'm, I'm gearing up. I'm preparing for whatever bomb the Lord wants to drop on me. Amen. I know it's not going to feel good, but I'm looking forward. Why? Because I want to be changed. I want to be different. I want to be better. I want to go farther. I want to be more pleasing to my Father. But understand this. I think if we approach revival with only the idea that I'm going to get encouraged and stirred and not changed, I'm afraid you're going to miss it before it ever begins. Because God's desire in revival is what? It's, it's to change us. Now, tonight as we look at Nehemiah, we'll give you a few quick things before we have invitation. You're going to notice that Nehemiah, we just read, that he got stirred. Notice how stirred he got. You look down, the Bible says in verse number 4, when he heard these words, he sat down, he wept, and he mourned, he fasted, and he prayed. I mean, my goodness, what evidence of somebody being stirred to where they weep. I mean, man, what a blessing it is when God breaks your heart and you can weep over the things of God. What a blessing it is that when you're so stirred that you want to be changed, that you're, you're willing to fast. I mean, look, we all like food. And you say, I'm going to set that aside. Why? Because I need to spend more time with my God so that I can be changed. 
But it didn't stop with stirring with Nehemiah. And that's what I want to get to tonight. There were some things that happened right here in these verses we read that got him ready for revival. Now hear me out. I'm not going to give you any screen notes tonight. No screen notes tonight. You're going to have to listen, all right? I, I know how it is. We, we tune it out until we see the slide change. Oh, write that down. Write that down. All right? Uh, I'm not going to give you any slides tonight. I want to preach on the subject of ready for revival and getting ready for revival. And I want to show you something tonight that you're going to need to do to get ready for revival or you're going to miss it. And what a sad, sad thing that would be for you not to be changed and for me not to be changed, okay? Now look down, if you will, to verse number 2. So here's Nehemiah serving in the comfort of his castle as the king's cupbearer. Yes, he's a captive, but he's worked his way up the ladder a little bit. The Bible says that one of his brethren came, some of the men of Judah. Now watch this next part here. I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity and concerning Jerusalem. There's one word mentioned twice in there. I want you to notice what it is. It's the word concerning. Nehemiah is here in the castle and he's comfortable, but he's comfortable to an extent. That even though he is in a place of comfort, he hasn't forgotten about his countrymen back home. And the Bible says that he asked them concerning, concerning them. Can I tell you tonight, the, the first thing that we need to have to get ready for revival is what he had right there in verse number two. Number one, he was concerned about their condition. He was concerned about their condition. He uses the word twice, concern, concerning. Now folks, can I tell you at the very least tonight, Revival begins to grow and will begin to, to, to bud and to bloom and to blossom when we start having concern about our condition. Hey, how am I doing? All right, it's easy for us to look around and say how they're doing and how they're doing and how, uh, how our kids are doing. But, but tonight, here's what we need to do to get ready for revival. We need to be concerned about our condition. As a matter of fact, when you read your Bible and you look back in history, one of the greatest evidences of the need of revival is unconcern. When people get to the place to where they are unconcerned about their condition, unconcerned about the condition of others and people lost and going to hell, that is a signifier that we are in need of revival. Think about some passage in scripture, if you will. Think about the church at Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3, verse number 17. We pick on them a lot, but we're, we're becoming them as a nation, as a church altogether. What did they say? I'm rich and increased in goods and what? Have need of nothing. I have need of nothing. Now, folks, look, when you get to the place where you think that you have need of nothing, you have reached the threshold of being unconcerned, and you're now meeting a wonderful qualification for needing revival. Folks, if you're not careful, your empathy will be replaced by apathy, and after a while, you're no longer concerned about who you are and where you stand and how someone else is and where they stand before God. And if we truly want revival, we've got to do what Nehemiah said. Verse number two, have some concern about ourselves. Hey, how are we before God and where do we stand before God? You know, tonight, God has a measuring stick. In the Old Testament, he used a plumb line. I don't know, anybody uses, hardly uses plumb lines anymore. Uh, when I was a kid, my dad had one. We didn't use them very often, but every once in a while he'd break out the plumb bob, and I thought it was really cool because it looked like a brass missile, and he would drop it from the wall to make sure the wall was straight that we were building, and that line was the measuring stick. 
that line, look, that line was hanging straight down. And if, if the wall looked like this, it meant the wall was crooked because we knew the line was straight. Can I tell you tonight, God knows what is straight. And God knows what is right. And God knows what is plumb. And God wants us to know tonight whether we're leaning a little bit. But here's the question. Are we even concerned about where we stand with God? Are we concerned? Or are we a Nehemiah that's in the, cap, the, the, the castle and we're at the place where, you know what, well, that doesn't bother me because I'm here, I'm okay. I'm the king's cupbearer. I'm doing okay. I don't need to be concerned. And yet here he is about to lead one of the greatest revivals of mankind. And the first thing that we see him doing was he was concerned. Can I ask you tonight, number one, are you concerned about your condition? Matthew chapter 24 not turn there, but I want you to think about the people that are described in chapter number 24. These people that are living in the perilous times that we're living in now, the Bible says, and because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. What is it when your love waxes cold? It's unconcerned. That you can see a need in someone's life, someone struggling in their life, or be struggling in your own life, and you don't care about it. Your love has waxed cold. Uh, it's that way in a marriage that from time to time we leave our first love and that warm, uh, that hot love that we had for someone where we burned for them in care is gone. And our love has now waxed cold and we are unconcerned. Can I tell you, if we're going to have revival, we've got to get to the place where we're concerned about our condition. Notice what he said. I asked them. I asked them. Concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. You know, you can't be concerned about revival without being concerned about your condition. You got to be concerned. You got to be concerned. Am, am I worried about where I stand before God? Now, watch this. <clears throat> Are you concerned enough to do what he did in verse 2? So, what did he do? Watch this. I asked. I asked. Are we concerned enough tonight? In a minute, we're going to have an invitation. Are we concerned enough tonight, and I know you can ask there in your chair, and God hears you from your chair, but are we concerned enough tonight to ask, God, how's my condition? God, how's my condition? I'm going to be honest with you. You're probably not going to like what you hear if you're any human like I am. Because our Father can see into the deepest, darkest reaches of our heart and places, even things that maybe we have suppressed and hidden and forgotten about. It, it amazes me. Someone told me years ago, before you start praying, you ought to start listening. And I'm like, come again? And I've gotten to the place now when I kneel to pray, I don't start and go right into my list. I just sit still for a little while. And it's amazing how my Heavenly Father will show me things that are going to hinder my prayer before I ever start praying. He says, remember when you were unkind to someone the other day, impatient with someone the other day. And boy, we having, have a bad tendency to sweep sin under the rug, don't we? Well, it's not that bad. You know, to God, it's just as bad as it ever was. So that's why tonight, number one, are we concerned with our condition enough to ask? Uh, I have an app on my phone, and one of the good things about technology is it helps you keep up with things. And I have a Chevrolet app on my phone, and uh, I can check all of my car's gauges, air pressure in my tires, the lifespan of my oil, all of those things uh, on my phone. It is great. And so the other night, it's kind of cold outside, and I wasn't sure if my car was winterized and ready for the winter. And so I just open up the app on my phone and start looking, and I'm like, okay, we're going to be fine. Everything's good to go. My wife's car 
She's in nursery tonight, so I can say this, okay? Her car's not as smart as mine, okay? It's an 07 Volkswagen, so it's an older model, doesn't have as much technology in it. And I wasn't able to check hers on it. And I'm thinking, and she had left it here at the church on Sunday night, okay? You know, it got really cold on, on Sunday night, Monday, and all that. And so I'm, I'm laying there in bed, and I'm thinking, I wonder if her car is ready for the cold. And I'm thinking, it's probably not. But you know what? I'm just going to pray and ask the Lord to bless it. That's what I did. And then it just kept bothering me. Well, man, what if, if the engine cracks? You know, the, it freezes and the engine cracks and all these things, bad things happen. And finally, after a while, I got so concerned with the condition of her car, I get up, I put on my boots. Now, it's still dark, okay, in the early hours of the morning on Monday. It's still dark. I put on my boots. I still have my pajama pants on. I put on a hoodie and a toboggan and a scarf. I look like a homeless man that robbed a Macy's, okay? I'm walking around in pajamas, cowboy boots, and I have my scarf on because I've learned the value of a scarf as I get older. And uh, I'm getting ready to walk out the door, and I, let me tell you a funny it's, it's, it's still dark in the early hours of the morning, and I'm thinking, well, nobody's going to see me. And then I started to think about all the staff guys who have access to our security cameras. And then I thought, just as sure as I go there in my pajama pants, they're going to get me on there. And the next thing you know on Facebook, you're going to see me in my pajama pants up there at the church looking like a homeless man that just robbed Macy's. I get up here to my wife's car, and I get in, and I crank it up. And uh, that little car takes forever to get warm. I mean, forever to that. And you sit there cold, cold, cold. Finally, it's cranked, and it's running, it's running. And I'm waiting to check the antifreeze in there. And... Uh, I always fill up my wife's car for her. I like doing that. I like pumping gas for her. Just a little something I can do for her. And uh, she's been low for a few days now. And I said, I'll fill it up for you. I'll fill it up later. I'll fill it up later. You're never going to believe what happened in the early hours of the other day. Is I'm out here, not in my pajama pants, but out here warming up her car. It runs out of gas. <laughs> I'm thinking, it's, it's 15 degrees. It's freezing cold outside. I'm trying to check my wife's car to make sure it's not going to freeze and the motor's going to crack and all of those things. And I was going through all of that trouble. Do you know why? I had to go get gas. Then I spilled gas all over my leather gloves. It was just, Do you know I went through all that trouble? Do you know why? Because I was concerned about the condition of her car. Could we tonight be just as concerned about the condition of where we stand with God in order to have revival, that we go through all that trouble. Could we do that? Could we, hey, listen, on your way to work tomorrow, could you pull in at 6.30 or 7 and get a cup of coffee, have a word of prayer at an altar? Could you pull into the parking lot on your way home tomorrow night at 6 o'clock and say, I'm going to pull in the south parking lot and I'm going to pray for revival. I'm going to park and I'm going to pray, yeah, I want to go home and be with my family. I want to be, be warm. I'm going to stop and I'm going to pray for revival. Could we take some extra measures because we're what? Concerned about our condition. Number one tonight. Getting ready for revival, be concerned about your condition. But then watch this. After he told them, what was, or after they told him what is going on, verse number three, and they said unto me, the remnant that are left of the captivity, they're in the province, verse number three, are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Now watch this. They gave him the report, and notice Nehemiah's reaction. He immediately began talking to the Lord. He did not deny for one moment what was going on back at home. He didn't say, guys, it can't be that bad. I mean, come on. I mean, look, you know, I'm sure there's some work that needs to be done and some maintenance on the walls and maybe work on the gates a little bit, but surely it can't be that bad. No, notice number two tonight. This is the second thing we need to do in order to be ready for revival. Number two, he accepted the conclusion. 
He accepted the conclusion. Now, he could have argued with it and said, ah, I just don't believe that. I just can't believe it's that bad. I, look, I, I, I picture the town in my mind. It's beautiful. It just it can't be as bad as you said. No, he didn't, he didn't argue. He accepted it. Well, folks, I believe this is a very important part tonight in order for us to have revival. That number one, when we go to God and we are concerned about our condition, that when God gives us the report, when God says to us, yes, look, you've got this in your life, or there, there's this shortcoming you need to work on, or there's this relationship you need to mend, or a young person, hey, there's some moms and dads you need to go talk to and say, I'm sorry for the spirit that I've had toward you. And when God gives us the report, if we really want to be ready for revival, we've got to be willing to accept his conclusion that, okay, that God has run a diagnostic on me, and God has said, this is what I need to work on. Well, folks, couldn't we all agree that we need revival, not just our church, not just your home and your life, but America? America. Wouldn't it be wonderful if a revival started at Central Baptist Church that spread across America? Now, right then, I bet you your flesh did something that my flesh does. That your flesh immediately interjected, what are the odds of that? What are the odds that we could be the church who allowed God to begin working in our heart and bring revival to our heart and our home and our church and it spreads to our city and it began at Central Baptist Church, not for the sake of saying it began at Central Baptist Church, but because God gets the glory. Why not here? Why not? Is God still true? Is his power still available? Is he still willing to work? Absolutely. Then why don't we make ourselves available? Well, I'll tell you why, because oftentimes when God gives us his conclusion and we ask, hey, what's the condition? God says, hey, there's some problems. We're like, I don't know that. And we argue with God. I, I argue with God all the time. And I want you to notice real quickly, I have never noticed it from this approach that I want you to see in verse 3 real quick tonight. The Bible says the first report was the province, the people in the province are in great what? Affliction and reproach. Affliction and reproach. Do you know what that means, affliction and reproach? If I could just combine the words for a simple explanation or definition tonight, watch this. They were greatly grieved. They were greatly grieved. Now watch. Their condition is opening the door to the revival that would come. What was their condition? Let me give you this. They were grieved and in need of grace. They were in a place to where they were greatly grieved and in need of grace. Nehemiah says, wait a minute, my people, this reproach, the wall is broken down and they are afflicted. They are grieved and in need of grace. Can I tell you tonight, for whatever reason in your life you find yourself grieved and in need of grace, can I tell you, revival can bring that. Revival can bring grace that is sufficient to fill the void for whatever it is that grieves you and whatever it is afflicts you tonight. Revival can do that. You remember Paul, he went to the Lord three times with a thorn in the flesh. The Bible says that Paul says, Lord, I have this thorn. I don't know what it is and probably one of the top ten questions that will be asked when we get to heaven if we can remember it. I don't know if we can remember it or not, but I'd love to know what the thorn was. Some believe it was the grief of watching Stephen die. Some believe it was his eyesight. I mean, there's all kinds of things people think it is. I don't know what it was, but it grieved him enough to ask God three times to take it away. You ever had something you couldn't quit praying for because it grieved you so much? I think we've all been there. 
Well, the Bible says that when Paul went to God three times and asked him to remedy what was grieving him, watch this. Christ says, I'm, I'm not going to take away the thorn in a manner of speaking. He says, but my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. Meaning whatever it is that grieves you, the grace of God can fill the void of that. And oh, revival can bring the grace of God again and fill whatever void of whatever is grieving you. But wait a minute. What's amazing is when you go back and read Paul's conversation with Christ, the Bible says, after he says, my grace is sufficient for thee, Paul says this. The next two words, you know what they are? Oh, that's not what I was expecting. Has God not answered your prayer the way you've wanted it answered? And you're like, well, that's not what I was waiting to hear. Do you know what Paul's next two words are after he says, my grace is sufficient for thee? The next two words are, most gladly. Most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmities. Watch this. After he received the grace for what was grieving him, he said, most gladly. Now, how can you go from having a thorn to saying the words most gladly? The only way you can do that is grace. Now, tonight, if you're like the walls of Jerusalem here, in the city of Jerusalem where you are grieved and in need of grace, revival can bring that if you'll just accept God's conclusion. Notice the second thing in verse number three. The Bible says, their reproach, and the wall of Jerusalem is broken down. Do you know what a wall does? A wall provides defense and protection, right? You ever go to the White House, they have a great big one. It's kind of funny that they don't believe in them because they have a great big one right there around his house, you know. It, it provides a defense, and I promise you, you try to go over that wall, and you'll see just how good the defense is. I preached in front of the White House right there on Pennsylvania Avenue one time, and we just got up on the sidewalk. We, we were six feet from the fence. We just stepped up on the sidewalk off the asphalt while we were preaching, and Secret Service had a very nice conversation with us about not getting any closer while we were preaching. You could get closer as long as you weren't preaching. That just shows you how powerful the Word of God is, right? You could get up there as long as you were quiet, but you couldn't get on the sidewalk while you were preaching. That wall is there, that fence is there for what? It's for a defense. Now, can I ask you something tonight? I'm trying to help us understand, are we in need of revival? Watch, are you grieved and in need of grace? Well, then you need revival. But wait a minute, their wall was broke down, their defenses were down. Number two on this point, if you would, are you broken in need of rebuilding? The Bible says the wall was broken down. Do you feel like all of your defenses are gone? Do you feel like you've got no fight left? Your walls are down and you're susceptible to anything that comes and tries to raid your life and raid your mind. You ever felt that way? I have. I talked to a pastor today, been pastoring way longer than I've talked to, uh, than I have, and I talked to him today about uh, some things he has gone through in his ministry. He says, man, I've been at a place where I was just down and out and didn't care. I said, well, how did you encourage your church when you were going through what you were going through? He says, I didn't. I said, are you serious? He goes, yeah. He said, I didn't have anything left to encourage myself. I couldn't encourage anybody else. You know what he was saying? His defenses were down. You ever come to a place and moms and dads, I'm not even going to look up because I'm sure we all have been there with your kids and you feel like they've broken down all your defenses. You're like, I, I, I give up. You want to eat marshmallows for breakfast? Eat marshmallows for breakfast. If, if you want to eat Cheetos for lunch, then okay, eat Cheetos for lunch. You're, you're just tired of it. Your, your fight's gone. Your walls are broken down. Could it be tonight you've come to a place where your walls are broken down? You're defenseless and you're broken and in need of building. 
Can I tell you tonight? Then you need revival. You need revival. The Bible says, Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart. It's okay, watch. Accept his conclusion. He says, hey, your walls are broken. Your walls are broken. Your defenses are down. There's no defense in you anymore. There's no fight left in you. Your walls are broken. You're in need of revival. Or maybe tonight you're grieved and in need of grace. Just agree with God. Okay, God, I'm grieved. I'm sorry. God, I I, kind of hit it. No, I don't need anything. God, I'm okay. Look, quit telling God when he knows better. God knows we're grieved in need of grace. He knows that we're broken in need of rebuilding. And then notice this. The Bible says, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Do you know what a, a gate is? A gate is often a symbol of strength. The Bible says, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It means the strength, the power. The Bible says the gates are burned with fire. That means there's, there's no strength left. The power is gone. Are you at a place tonight, real quickly, where you're struggling and in need of strength? Then you need revival. You need revival. Now, folks, the only way we're going to have revival, number one, is be concerned about our condition. Are you willing to ask God, God, show me my condition? Don't show me their condition. Don't show me his condition. Don't show me my spouse's condition. God, show me my condition. Are you willing to ask, show me my condition? And then, are you willing to accept his conclusion? It's amazing to me tonight how quickly we accept doctors' conclusions. It's amazing how often we accept other medical personnel and mechanics' uh, solution. We go to them, we pay them, and we accept that. And yet, we won't accept what God already knows in order for us to have revival. Finally, let me show you this tonight before we have invitation. You want revival? We've got to ask God, God, how am I doing? And then accept what he says. But then notice there's one more thing that happened, and, and we'll have our invitation tonight. Verse 4 says, and it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Can we agree tonight that when Nehemiah got the results from God on his condition, can we agree tonight that it not only stirred him and it not only challenged him, but notice it affected him and convicted him. See, how do you know that it convicted him? Well, watch this. And said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven. Notice immediately he called out to God. Number three tonight, how do we get ready for revival? Notice he acted on conviction. He acted on conviction. We use a phrase in our vernacular oftentimes, and we'll say, man, I was convicted about that. I was convicted about that. I was convicted about that. We'll be in church, and uh, I've been there many times in church where you get convicted. Can I tell you, just to be honest with you tonight, there have been many times I have been convicted about something, but I didn't take conviction to the end of the road and be changed. Been there. Man, I'd be in a revival service and listen to the preacher preach, and boy, I'd get convicted, and I'd come down an altar, and I would pray, but I never followed through with the conviction. You know, God is not in the business of just making us feel bad, okay? I know we think about that sometimes, that God is a killjoy in heaven, and he doesn't want us to have any fun, he doesn't want us to feel good. That's not the case. Watch. God makes us feel bad through conviction so that we will follow better. That's his desire. He says, I'm I'm convicting you. Why? Because I chasten every son that I love. He loves us, and he convicts us about our condition, but the end is not conviction. 
as a dad, I hate punishing my daughter. I hate that. I don't enjoy that. Uh, I probably should more than I do, but I don't enjoy it at all. But boy, there's a motivation behind that feeling bad because I want her to be able to do better. And that's what God wants for us in revival. He doesn't want us just to feel bad tonight. Boy, I feel bad about that. Sometimes we console ourselves just because we felt bad. Man, I felt bad about that, man. The Lord really got after me. I've had people tell me in a store before, you know, man, I heard that message on Sunday night, man. It really convicted me. Hey, great. That's just the first step, though. God wants to take our conviction and lead us to a conversion. That's how you got saved. He convicted you and showed you your condition. But he didn't just want to show you who you are. He wanted to show you who you could be. But you had to be willing to do what? Act on the conviction. Okay. God, I, I read the conclusion. God, I got the test results here. Here's what you say about me. I'm, I'm grieved and in need of grace. I'm broken in need of rebuilding. I'm struggling in need of strength. Okay, God, I, I accept it. God, I'm not just convicted about these things. God, I, I want to take it to the end of the road and be changed. And so, God, I come before you. Watch what he did. Watch what he did, and we're done. He began to pray to God, and he says in verse 6, let thine ear now be attentive. He says, God, I need you to hear me. And thine eyes be open that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant. Watch this. Which I pray before thee now day and night for the children of Israel. Stop. It's one thing to pray for America. I'm praying for the group. Notice he's praying for the whole group. Hey, that's great. But then keep reading. The children of Israel, thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel. But then watch it be, starts getting personal, which we have sinned against thee. And then watch how personal it gets. Both I and my father's house have sinned. Do you know how you're really ready for revival? When suddenly our prayer for revival goes from America, Mississippi, to Hattiesburg, to Central, to your family. And finally we get down to... I. That's how you know you're ready. When you're willing for God, watch. God, forgive the sins of our city. God, for sin, forgive the sins of our country. Okay, then you come to God and say, God, I'm so ready for revival. I'm willing, watch this, for you to zoom in. Both I and my Father's house have sinned. I'll tell you, folks, that is not a fun road to walk. It's not fun to be concerned about your condition that you're going to stop and say, God, tell me the bad news. I want to hear it. God, give me a report. It's not fun accepting the conclusions. Okay, God, you know me better than anybody, and this is what you say about me. And God, I accept. I'm not going to argue with that. I accept that. And then it's really not fun acting on the conviction to help bring about the change in your life that needs to be there. But can I tell you, if you really want revival, you'll get ready for revival. That's why we're going to open the doors tomorrow at 6.30. Just allow folks to come by and pray. God forbid tonight there's something in your heart saying, well, I'm not going to show up at 6.30 because, you know, if I show up early, they're going to think I must be a real bad sinner to be here so early. Well, look, if it was based on being a real bad sinner, I'd be here first. And then, look, you can come behind me, amen. We all need to be at a place where we're concerned about our condition. If you're here tonight and you're not concerned about your condition and you feel you're okay, you need revival way more than you realize. 
You may have just reached the Laodicean church. I have need of nothing. I mean, it's amazing to me, the thought, it blows my mind. I hope this is not the truth, but I can't help but think it probably is, that oftentimes we come to church and we have no desire and no inclination that we're going to change whatsoever when we should be coming wondering what God's going to do in our life today. Folks, and I, are we ready for revival? That's, that's my question. That's my burden tonight. Are we ready for revival? And you say, well, I hope we are. All right, let's zoom it in like Nehemiah did. Am I ready for revival? Am I ready? Number one, are you concerned about your condition? Oh, of course I am. Okay, that's the right answer. Are you concerned enough to ask? God, show me. Show me. I want you to know I've, I've been walking through these steps for about 10 days now. I have not enjoyed it. I have not enjoyed it. Why? Because when God shows you who you really are and, and all that you are capable of as a human, you begin to realize just how much you need grace. Tonight, you need grace. Are you grieve in need of grace? Tonight, are you at the place to where your walls are broken down and your defenses are gone? Are you here tonight and you're struggling in need of strength? You need revival, all right? Then number two, accept his conclusion. Before you ever pray tonight, go ahead and decide that whatever God puts on that diagnostic of your heart, that you're going to accept it. God, whatever you say, I'm going to accept it. Whatever I need to do, I'm going to accept it. Why? Because I need revival that bad. And then you're going to take it all the way to the end of what God wills, and you're going to act on that conviction. All right, God, I'm going to follow through with what you'd have me to do. Here's the question tonight. Are you ready for revival? I don't know about you. I don't know that I'm fully ready yet. I pray that I'll get there by Sunday, but tonight we could take a huge step. So here's what I want you to do. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Our pianist is going